electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Inflation, emotions, pollster Frank Luntz, and the frustrations of American spenders on record high prices. This is what happens when you tell people that things are getting better and they know through their own experiences that they're not. And a cheaper Netflix is on deck, but it'll still cost you. Sarah Fisher from Axios. When Netflix launched its streaming service, there wasn't a sophisticated streaming advertising product out there. Fast forward to 2022, streaming advertising really is mainstream. Plus a rare earnings surprise from America's biggest bank, JP Morgan's 28% profit drop and hedge against future loan loss. Is this the canary in the consumer coal mine? CNBC's Dom Chu. We use JP Morgan Chase as a precedent setter, right? Because it's typically one of the first of the bigger banks to report. The, the issue is now whether it becomes trend-like. It's Thursday, July 14th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Today on the podcast, we'll start with inflation, yeah, at four-decade highs. We're looking not just at the headline numbers, but how it's making people feel. Here's Morton Sloan, fourth-generation grocer from the Morton Williams chain of supermarkets in New York City. There have been waves of increases. There's another one going on right now. And I, I hear the prices that we ourselves have to charge for things, and I'm stunned by them. I'm shocked by them. I'm angered by them. Stunned, shocked, angered. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen at a meeting of financial ministers in Bali today used another word, unacceptable. Inflation in the United States remains unacceptably high, and it's our administration's top economic priority to bring it down. The release of the Consumer Price Index yesterday revealed a 9.1% increase in consumer prices on the year in June. U.S. suppliers' prices also remain at historic highs. The Producer Price Index, which measures costs at the wholesale level, increased 11.3% in June on a 12-month basis. Traveling to the Middle East, President Biden released a statement following the CPI reading that started, while today's headline inflation reading is unacceptably high, it is also out of date. There's unacceptable, again, and backwards? Measurements like CPI and PPI are monthly, reflecting prices that we already paid during the month of June. White House National Economic Council Director Brian Deese appeared on CNBC. You know, it's backward looking and it doesn't reflect what we've seen over the last 30 days, which is a significant decline in gas prices down about 40 cents. The recent decline of gas prices has led to some thinking that inflation has peaked reached its top already. But as our first guest today will tell you, thinking and feeling are very different. Let's get to Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Andrew kicks things off. Well, let's stick with the topic of inflation and how Americans are changing their behavior because of rising prices. In a new poll, 40% of adults, this is fascinating, specifically named inflation as one of their top priorities for the government to work on in the next year. Joining us right now to discuss more is Frank Luntz, pollster 
and political strategist. Frank, it's great to see you. You know, when you look at that number, 40 percent, the, the conundrum, and then they, and, and they think that that's what the government should work on, and I'm not saying the government shouldn't work on it, but to a large degree, the government's hands are tied on this issue. So when you think about how politicians should even talk and describe this issue, what is the approach? Andrew, make no mistake. This is what happens when you tell people that things are getting better and they know through their own experiences that they're not. They got a 3%, 5% pay increase, but inflation is costing them 10, 15, 20% more for the things that they need. Food, fuel, automobiles, housing, all the things that people consume, healthcare, every single day is going up. And I'll tell you that I think that this, those numbers that came out yesterday, the 9% increase to me is the most significant thing of the year because you're just 1% from that threshold, from that 10%, from the double digit, from what we went through in 1980. And the context, we already see consumer sentiment negative, as negative as it has been in many years. We see the direction of the country as negative. Almost 80% think that America is headed in the wrong direction. And we see this in terms of spending. We know that the spending, that people can't afford the, the food that they want, that they're returning stuff at the cashier's desk, that they're putting off purchases. And one more point. We're going through right now the summer season where restaurants are suffering. People aren't buying the big ticket items. They're not paying the extra money for the top shelf alcohol, that they're traveling but they're doing so in a more consumer-friendly way. We've got back to school, and then we got the Christmas holidays. And I'd be saying to every CEO, you better get your board together, you better get your strategists together, because this could be the worst Christmas season that we've had in a decade. Even knowing what we went through with COVID, because at that point, people actually did have more money in their pockets, They, right. they as tight as the economy right, was. So but let's talk about how you communicate that, because there's, and there's two there's two audiences or maybe there's one audience, but two different types of people that, that I think you talk to to communicate. There's the CEO, the business leader, and then there's the political leader trying to reach their constituents. In most cases, in almost both cases, there's a little bit of my hands are tied. I can't do anything. But what do you do? But how do you explain that? Well, or maybe you, you think there's a lot to be done. I mean, by the way, there's probably a debate about that, too. Well, my job is not policy. My job is to understand public opinion, understand corporate opinion, and then reflect a language. So I'm not going to answer what should be done, but I'm going to answer what needs to be communicated. The first aspect is empathy. Not to dismiss this, to acknowledge it, to talk about where things are headed, and then, then to give people choices, options so that they can make the decisions that allow them to get the things that not only that they want, but the things that they need. And well, like what? What, what, and, what, what are the options? I, I, don't, I don't know about a lot of options at this point. Well, we have, Andrew, we have to figure this out because if you've got 21% of Americans that get to the checkout line and have to return something because they can't afford it, that you've got 51% of Americans that can't fill up their gas tank and it's actually getting worse, not getting better. That we have to figure out a way to say to people, this is what you can do now, this is what you can do as you approach Christmas, and this is the long-term decision-making. Because mark my words, we are headed for an explosion. We already have political divisions. We're already angry with each right. other. We're already stressed out. Okay, so Frank, if, now, if, now I wanna make you a political leader. I, I wanna make you a political leader for a moment. You are 
let's say you're you're the you're the, the leading party or the, the the party in control, the Democratic Party, which is going to take the blame for this, virtually no matter what. You're them. What do you say? I think it's probably rather obvious if you were on the other side of that, what you should say. I mean, because well, what you should say is it's their fault. But no, if you do that, if you play the blame game, not only will that not work, but you're adding to the problem. I, the, right now, you've got one party that's seeking to raise taxes, and they're saying that we're going to try to do it on corporations, we're going to try to do it on, uh, on only the rich. Well, guess what? Everyone watching here knows that if you raise taxes, everyone ends up paying for it, not just those who it's targeted to. This is absolutely positively the worst time ever to raise taxes. People already can't afford it. And Andrew, the, the group that I'm watching the most are those family of four, two kids making the average income, which is about 53, 55,000 a year. Those are the people who are suffering. The wealthy can afford it. The poor always struggle. The people who've never thought that they would struggle are the working class, the middle class, who were told, work hard, play by the rules, pay your taxes, and you'd be able to put away money for the future. Guess okay, what? So, but it, Frank, it, so you, you've told us what the Democrats shouldn't say, which is raise taxes, but what should you say affirmatively? Because by my count, I think that the American public says, this is a mess, these people are in charge, it's their fault. Whether you think it's their fault or not is a different question, but if you were to try to counter that, if that, if that was the, the narrative, what would you do? I would, I would go to the regulation and simplify it to make it easier for businesses to operate. I would put some sort of tax relief on those businesses that are holding the line on prices. Hey, Frank, would you say, would you t would you say drill, baby, drill to domestic producers? And, and, or do you say, no, I'm not going to meet with domestic producers. I'm going over to Saudi Arabia and I have no interest because the, the, I'll vilify the domestic producers and say that they're price gouging. I'm not going to work with them because that would concede uh, that maybe that some of the things that we've done over the past couple of years have hampered um, that industry. I mean, there's a lot of you can point figures at ESG or, or uh, you know, wherever you want to point it, the green lobby, it has hampered production. And energy is a large part. It filters into food. A large part of the inflation we're seeing is energy. And, and well, make, make, make no mistake, Americans still want a cleaner, safer, healthier country. And the idea of drill, baby, drill is abhorrent. However, we trust our energy producers more than we trust Russia, more than we trust China. And so anytime you can have a domestic, an American answer for this, that's going to be more positive than depending on foreign countries. Look, I've tried to get through this segment without placing blame, without playing politics. Clearly, this is going to have an impact, a huge impact in November. The other cable stations talk about guns. They talk about abortion. Inflation is by far the number one, the number two, the number three issue, and this is going to have a huge impact. But for the business community, you also need to focus on how you can make day-to-day -day life more affordable for your employees. If you want them to stay with you, if you don't want them to be looking elsewhere because they desperately need a second job or a higher paying job, you have to do what you can to make their lives more affordable because that's what makes them more liberal. Okay. Frank Luntz, always great to see you. Thanks for your perspective on all of this. Have you ever tried to do the Mater D? Have you ever tipped the Mater D? To, when to I have a reservation at a restaurant, I don't even say who I am. I'm actually usually a different name. Right. Doctor. Because I, I don't Dr. want. Dr. Frank I something. No, I just, I don't want the paparazzi. It's, you know, so I'm trying oh, to. Oh, I, oh, see, I, oh. No, you got to go very low key. You low key it. That's how you got to do it.
cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, a big change coming to a small screen near you. Netflix has ads in the queue. Axios reporter Sarah Fisher on what else to stream. How many times have you been on Netflix and you see 12 different slates on your screen and you're thinking, I don't really know what I should watch? I've got like 50 shows that I've watched for three minutes. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Stand Joe by in three, two, one, you Joe. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky uh, is off. She'll be back uh, tomorrow. Netflix saying that it has now chosen Microsoft to help launch a low-cost ad-supported version of its streaming service. Seeking a partner was seen as a move to help Netflix enter the ad business and do it quickly. That after years of rejecting that model, you might recall, Reed Hastings was uh, never a fan of ads. The choice of Microsoft to supply the technology to place video ads was a surprise to uh, at least some ad industry executives because Microsoft's not exactly well known for its video ad capabilities as others, but other ad tech power players also operate competing services like Comcast, Peacock, and Google's YouTube. In fact, there had been some speculation that Comcast, parent company, our network, of course, may have or would have been that partner for some time. Right. The capability to do that. And, and they want to make it, Reed Hastings, to make it as in, what is, what's the opposite of intrusive? As non-intrusive as possible. And Peacock does that. Inconspicuous. Yeah. It's, what do you, what's the most, the most you see, maybe 90 seconds? Not usually. There's a little thing. It's usually 60 seconds, maybe even in less. In the beginning. Why? You, do they, do they you ramp do it, it up a little? Well, no, if you're, I mean, that's, I mean, I, there was a period the commercials of time where the ad-supported Hulu, yeah, and, and you know they'd run an ad in the beginning, and then they and then maybe they'd do one well, they, or two in between. There'll be slight breaks, but they're they're never intrusive for, for me. Anyway, it's like sixty seconds. I don't care but about interesting. Three and four minutes. The is big what issue, gets and I, I, I'm sure you saw this in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. There's a bunch of content companies that have licensed their shows to Netflix over the years. In those contracts, it's unclear whether you can actually insert back ads and do into the shows. Yeah. And so in some cases, it sounds like there may be uh, some renegotiation that has to go back to those if they want to run that content with ads next to it, in which case they have to pay for that privilege, in which yep. case the benefit to Netflix actually becomes questionable for certain, for certain programming. It Obviously, a program that they bought and made Netflix original, not the case, but. Has Microsoft gotten better? I mean, it's weird, because uh, with Brad Smith and was on one board and somebody else was, there was, 
a good relationship between Netflix and Microsoft. It almost looked like an old boys thing rather than picking the best. But maybe Microsoft's gotten better at doing it. Google would have been good, but then once again, you're competing with, with, YouTube. with YouTube. So and, the, and, and I don't know if, Net, if Netflix is already on Azure as a cloud service yeah. in terms of what's actually powering the back end yeah. of these things. Did you tell me to watch Staircase, or you just meant, you mentioned it? I told you that I thought it's it was a drama. It's a, it's drama. a dramatization of yes. the other thing it's that fabulous. I actually saw. How do they decide whether he did it or not? Do they decide that he did do it or that he didn't do it? First of all, because he did tell, it. We cannot tell because he did do. Do they have an tell, owl coming down? We cannot tell and anybody do they have what a big actually owl? happened. You don't want to ruin it for the viewer. Oh, I just don't know how they would do it. I don't know how you dramatize something that you don't really know what happened because people are so good. It is? It was. You didn't watch the other one, though, to see what the guy's really like. The, the documentary on Netflix. You did watch The documentary it. on Netflix. Which did you watch? I've seen both. You have? I have. A little okay. bit too much Staircase. <laughs> okay. But the uh, drama, I thought, was actually probably better than the on the fiction. On the fictional side. Fictionalized. Because uh, Michael Keaton, we know how great uh, Dopesick was, even though it was a, you know, supposedly a... Great programming. He's joining us now. Is Sarah Fisher, Axios uh, media reporter. Were you surprised it was Microsoft, Sarah? And, and they, they do have uh, some good connections between the two companies, I guess. But is it the best thing for Netflix? I was a little bit surprised just because Microsoft's addressable ad solution, meaning the advertising solution that can cater to streaming, is still relatively new. They acquired a company called Xander from AT&T at the end of last year. And so to me, it's a great fit. But it was a little bit unexpected because I hadn't heard about Microsoft striking some of these big deals for streaming with Xander quite yet. The, uh, what, what would it look like? What does non-intrusive look like? Is there a model for that? You watch everything, Sarah. That we, we, I do because, not because I have to, because I'm looking for something to watch. But I, I know what a non-intrusive ad looks like. Do you think they can thread that needle? I think they can. I think a lot of their competitors have already done it pretty well. If you take a look at Hulu, Hulu has 70% of its subscribers signed up to the ad-supported tier. And that's because they've introduced a lot of streaming-friendly ads, things like pause ads. So you can pause an advertisement if you're walking away from the television, binge ads, et cetera. The other thing I think is really important to remember is that when Netflix launched its streaming service, Joe, there wasn't a sophisticated streaming advertising product out there and brands weren't used to buying it. So of course, to them, this seemed foreign for a really long time. But fast forward to 2022, streaming advertising really is mainstream. Almost every single one of their competitors has an ad supported tier. If they don't have one yet, like Disney, they're planning on introducing one. So I think Netflix is going to be able to thread the needle well my question is, are they too little too late? Some of their competitors, as I mentioned, Disney with Hulu, have been doing this for years. So Netflix has a lot of brand relationships, a lot of catch up to do uh, if they really want to get this started by the end of the year. What is the, the main thing that Netflix needs to uh, sort of face the, the day of reckoning? I'm not sure it's just that the ad supply, that, that was a big concession. Uh, obviously, but the subscriber growth is is probably never going to to match what expectations were uh, a year or two ago. Not even globally. And then there's the the difficulty of of doing hit after hit after hit uh, when you have so much competition for for the best writers, the best scripts, the best ideas. Um, I don't know necessarily whether monetizing the service with ads is the, it's certainly not a panacea for Netflix's long-term problems. That is an absolutely correct point. First of all, they have to get uh, the password sharing under control. 
you know, they've acknowledged that they think there's a, at least 100 million accounts that they could recoup if they get that under control. Second of all, they've really got to figure out some of these licensing relationships. You know, now that all the other media companies have taken their content back, Netflix has to really figure out how they're going to create enough original content that's going to make the service feel as good as it used to be. And then the final thing that I think Netflix really is going to have to figure out is discoverability. How many times, Joe, have you been on Netflix and you see 12 different slates on your screen and you're thinking, I don't really know what I should watch. Is this going to be good? Let me Google it and see what other people think. I mean, this wastes a lot of time. It's very frustrating. I think what they need to figure out is how do they make that user experience a little bit better? I feel like they can do it, but the challenge is they're going into a really bare market and investors want to see the progress quickly. And this is a lot of different things that they're going to have to take on in a very short amount of time. You're right. I, I, I need a couple of uh, additional lines for, um, do you want to continue watching these? Because I've got like three minutes. I've got like 50 shows that I've watched for three minutes uh, on Netflix. And, and actually, I, it took me a while to get on yesterday. I think my TV was like, what's it called again? When I asked for it, they're like, uh, oh, you haven't been on there. Uh, in a while. So I think that, you know, that's the elephant in the room. It's hard. It's hard to, uh, I don't know, they, it, are, are, how much stranger are the things that are happening now on Stranger Things than the first three C? Are they that much stranger? Do I need to see that, that, Sarah? I can't even watch Stranger Things anymore because it's just gotten so strange and kooky and a little bit too <laughs> So they are stranger. <laughs> Strangers, very much stranger things. Okay, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't tried uh, at this point. You know, great thing, Joe, great thing you mentioned Stranger Things. The last thing I'll say here, you know, that's an anomaly. Netflix, for a long time, when they were a subscription service, you only ran things for two or three seasons because then you needed to introduce new content to get subscribers in. What I'm excited about is now that they're getting into ad supported, maybe they'll give some of their shows like Stranger Things much longer runs. I think that'll make consumers happy. Uh, OK, Sarah, what do, do you have? One thing I should be watching and on any service, uh, Major League Baseball, I got that network, but the All-Star break's coming up. Maybe the Open. The Open's on right now. St. Andrews. Ooh. Yeah, home the of golf. Good. You know, if I could say, I think I'm most excited about soccer coming to streaming. I mean, obviously, right now we're towards the end of the season and we're not going to get that back probably till the fall. But you had La Liga made that big, you know, ESPN deal. You had Bundesliga did one. We had the Champions League come out and say that they're doing a bid. Like, soccer is going to be a hot thing in streaming that I'm looking forward to. No kidding. Okay. <laughs> that I think that's representative of where we are. Uh, we're, you're looking forward to soccer. Uh, wow. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I yeah. love soccer. I think they should use their, 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 it'd be so much easier to score. If you use your hands. Yeah. Yeah. I've would. said that all along. Don't you think? It, it just seems so hard to do everything with your. When, when I was a kid, <laughs> I wanted to be a goalie because you get to use your hands. Yeah. There you go. Coming up on Squawk Pod, two of America's major banks stumble on their latest quarterly numbers, signaling worries about the economy and consumers' wallets, specifically what comes out of them. I know a lot of people who've moved into the watch and wait. Uh huh. If I want to buy a car, I, I got to tell you, Andrew, I'm going to wait until there's a supply glut. CNBC's Dom Chu joins us on the headlines. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. 
Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Earnings season begins, and first up in the rotation with financial results from the second quarter, Wall Street. J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley both reported today. The nation's largest bank, J.P. Morgan, missed estimates on earnings per share. And in the company's release, CEO Jamie Dimon says high inflation, waning consumer confidence, uncertainty about interest rates, war, supply chain concerns, all will have negative consequences on the global economy. Diamond says the bank has temporarily suspended share buybacks to help reach regulatory capital requirements, its cash reserves against possible bad loans. For its part, Morgan Stanley was hit by a decline in investment banking revenue, uncertainty broadly trimming enthusiasm for things like corporate deals and initial public offerings. Here's Joe. More earnings uh, hitting the tape this morning. Uh, new results from some of Wall Street's biggest banks. Dominic Chu joins us now uh, with a wrap-up. Uh, not all bad, I guess. Morgan Stanley's kind of flat, but J.P. Morgan initially sold off, Dom. So, so we're, we're off the worst levels, if you want to look at it that way, kind of across these big banks. But, I mean, the company's specific, specific stories are huge, especially with the banks. Let's hit those right off the bat here. You mentioned Morgan Stanley. It's off one half of 1%, which is decently off at session lows. It reports profits and revenues that both missed consensus analyst estimates. That's due in part to weaker results at its investment banking unit, which saw weaker activity last quarter. But trading operations on both the equities and fixed income side of the business were pretty robust, so that helped counter some of the weakness there. But then you've got the most valuable bank in America, J.P. Morgan Chase. The banking giant also reporting weaker than expected profits and revenues due in part to, again, weaker than expected results at its investment banking unit, as well as an increase in the amount of money that J.P. Morgan sets aside to cover possibly bad loans in the future. J.P. Morgan Chase also notably suspending temporarily its share buyback program. CEO Jamie Dimon saying that inflation, less consumer confidence and other factors as well will be a drag on the overall global economy. So some interesting economic commentary coming from America's biggest bank. So some interesting movements there with regard to how we view the markets, given that current recessionary narrative. Thanks. You know, honestly, they are fascinating in terms of trying to figure out what's happening in the rest of the uh, the economy. But we've seen this movie before with loan loss reserves. They release some, they book some, you know, that affects, uh, affects the bottom line. But we always discount whether it, it actually matters. Well, that was from, uh, you know, taking additional reserves. That, uh, that was from reversing reserves that they had taken. But uh, the big picture, Dom, is that there is some de- deteriorating uh, credit quality that's apparent uh, in the last three months and likely to get worse 
in the next three months. Well, it's not just that. You can kind of glean a little bit something because it's the responsibility of managers at all these big banks, especially the publicly traded ones, to kind of transparently give an idea of what they think could be bad loans in the future, right? And, and they have to kind of make an allowance for that. So you can kind of glean a little bit about just how badly they think it will be in the future. Now, we understand that if it doesn't come to fruition, we see an earnings boost maybe in subsequent quarters if they decide to release some of those loan loss reserves. And then all of a sudden, those profits that were taken away previous quarters are now kind of padded in, in subsequent ones in the future. But it kind of says something. And, and J, by the way, we, we use J.P. Morgan Chase as a precedent setter, right, because it's typically one of the first of the bigger banks to report. The, the issue is now whether it becomes trend-like, right, that many of the big banks and even larger regional banks and smaller regional banks as well start to increase their loan loss reserves. If that does come to fruition, that weighs on the earnings picture for the overall market. And then it doesn't just become a multiple issue, right? It becomes an outright earnings are lower. And even if you assign the, the same multiple to them, the overall value of the market becomes lower. So uh, there are so many different variables. But again, this is one of those situations where you, you, you don't want to kind of talk yourself into a recession, right? That there are signs out there, but you don't want to say it's all gloom and doom. Nobody's saying it's all gloom and doom, but companies have to be responsible and, and, and kind of forecast for some of the We have cases. those two offsetting forces that, that after the pandemic. One is uh, that you, you want to do these things you haven't done for two years. So you got this. You really want to do these things. You're ready to spend. But the other thing is that all that temporary stimulus that you had that you felt pretty flush for a while, many people felt flush, you've been slowly working that off. So you want to do things, but you might not have as much as you had, let's say, uh, a year ago. And it makes me wonder, the, the, the card net charge-off rate was less than 2%. Uh, but are we getting to the point where a lot of people have worked off those stimulus checks at this point, and now the credit card could, could get a lot worse than less than 2% quickly. So you make a good point, because in J.P. Morgan's results, and J.P. Morgan is one of the bigger card issuers out there, right, uh, the, the banks that back up the, the kind of branded credit cards that you see, they're starting to see an uptick in the amount of money people are spending on credit cards. And, and so maybe beyond just the bigger banks, what you want to look for in terms of the economic narrative, to your point, Joe, is whether or not you do see more Americans not just spending on credit cards, but carrying balances on credit cards. And that kind of speaks to the inflationary narrative as well as a kind of, I wouldn't say deterioration, because that makes it sound so negative. But maybe those consumer balance sheets that got propped up because of government stimulus checks and everything else during the last couple of years are now starting to incrementally get worse. And if that's the case, what does that then do to the kind of spending picture as well? And by the way, I, like millions of other Americans, probably feel like the spending side of things, I'm not doing as much spending right now because I am one of those folks who does feel as though prices will come down in the future. So if that were to happen, what does that kind of do to the overall picture for the economy right now? I'm going to wait to spend until prices get lower. Watch and wait category. Right. I know exactly. a lot of people who've moved into the watch and wait. Uh-huh. If I want to buy a car, I, I got to tell you, Andrew, I'm going to wait until there's a supply glut rather than right now when there's a constraint in supply because I think those prices are coming down. You're hearing this, by the way, in the housing business right now, too, in terms of construction, remodeling, and, and, and that whole uh, universe as well, thinking that the prices have gone up 20 30 percent for a lot of things. And there are folks who are saying, you know what, what happens if I wait a year? I'm doing it for a bathroom renovation right now. I'm going to wait till labor becomes more available and prices start to come down for raw materials, for sure. There we have it. The, the, the Dom indicator. <laughs> the anecdotal. Dom, appreciate one. it. You got it, guys. Thanks. 
Squawk Pod is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. If you do that tomorrow morning, Becky Quick will be back to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.